Money FM 89.3, the best of Saturday mornings. International News Review. Welcome back to our International News Review here on Saturday mornings with Steve Oaken. Good morning, Steve. Good morning, GVZ. Good morning, Ned Ryerson. <laughs> Ned Ryerson. I take it. I don't even know what he means. Was it? You what? don't know Who's, Ned Ryerson? No. He's from, yeah, he's from Groundhog Day. Well, that's the way yeah, the guy Gra- goes up to the Bill Murray character, Phil Carr. You know me. I'm Ned Ryerson. Yes. Oh, you don't know Ned. Right, you're, okay. you're, the, you're Ned Ryerson. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh. International okay. best-selling author, Ned Ryerson. Ned Ryerson. Okay. Okay. I'll take it. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, you very go. much. All I right. thought it was a bit of an insult. but uh, <laughs> <laughs> Going deep. Deep cut. Deep cut. Deep cut. And a quick shout-out to Rohit, who I met in person, came up to me at the AmCham launch. He asked a great question a minute. Mr. Fu, yeah. with all the sustainability work he's doing, he said the three of us, you know, he discovered us during during COVID, helped him pass the time, and continues to to listen. Uh, so right at nine thirty, nine thirty is when he hits Facebook. Glenn, do you ever awesome. get the impression that Steve is Ringo Starr trying to take over the band <laughs> because he's getting more and more every week? It's becoming his show, his section, yeah. his thing. He's taking over the band here. I think there's a push for leadership. He wants yeah. t-shirts now. He wants the polo shirt with the branding. I think Yoko has been talking in his ear. <laughs> yeah, you'll yeah. be screeching into the microphone next. Yoko, <laughs> <laughs> oh, right? Yeah. Um, okay. We got a lot to talk about. First off, I mean, this, I don't think this has made enough news this week. Mm. Six missiles, including one that was believed to be an ICBM, being lobbed over Japan from North Korea. I mean, this, is, uh, this has been happening now for years, as we know, um, and there's been no de-escalation despite um, recent efforts to do so. Uh, what, take us through what we know about these tests and, and what the current state of that testing program is. Well, polycrisis is, is the new word that I've, I've, I've discovered and loved. It, it's, it's a word that was determined by Adam Tooze, who's a professor at, uh, at Columbia. I think he came up with this a few years ago. So a polycrisis is a situation where you have individual discrete crises, which are simultaneous, and then they intensify as they collide with one another, resulting in dire and deadly disruptions. Hmm. And we are in a situation in this world now where we have Poly, we're in a polycrisis situation, and the polycrisis include, I mean, climate change, global infa- inflation, food and energy shortages, Russian invasion of Ukraine, you know, China under Xi Jinping, and what may happen with Taiwan, U.S.-China decoupling, and the Cold War that could come, wow. the potential unraveling of the democratic <laughs> system in the United States. Is there anything else? It's not North Korea. <laughs> North Korea is not. If yeah. you put it in the scope of things, and, and you ask, I mean, North Korea is not really a polycrisis because, as you mentioned, this goes on. And on and on all the time, and yes, it, we don't certainly want to see you know North Korea lobbying you know missiles. But do we really think that North Korea will do a first strike nuclear attack against South Korea, Japan, potentially the United States? We don't. Mm-hmm. Why? Because in the in the words of the the U.S. and South Korea defense officials. After these attacks, right, if, if there were a first strike, this would result in the end of the Kim Jong-un regime by the overwhelming and decisive response of the alliance. So on my list of things that I worry about, North Korea lobbing missiles is probably 10 or 11, unfortunately. Well, you, would, you probably wouldn't say that if you lived in South Korea or Japan, I suspect. <laughs> yeah. But does it relate to that point, Steve? You, great word, polycrisis. And to Glenn's point, because of those issues around the polycrisis, it hasn't had the attention that otherwise it might have had. What is that the reason why he's done it? Why now? 
Why now? Oh, well, he did it now for a very clear reason, and that's because the U.S. and South Korea just had one of their largest scale military exercises over the last uh, few years or so. Um, they had 1,600 U.S. and South Korean flights, 240 warplanes. Donald mm. Trump put an end to these when he was trying to negotiate, unsuccessfully, of course, with, with Kim Jong-un to get the North Koreans to give up their nuclear program. Right. So those failed. And, and, and it hurt U.S. and in, in South Korea, you know, readiness. And so you need to be ready. You need to be able to show North Korea that if you do strike, we are ready to come in and, you know, and, and retaliate in a way that, that you will not survive. That's why, these, that's why these exercises are so important. This is, this is Kim Jong-un's response to those exercises. He's done it in the past. He'll do it again. But you've got to keep these exercises going so we don't get the nuclear uh, strike that, that you do worry about, certainly in, in South Korea and Japan in particular. Good mm. follow-up from our regular contributor, Don Pierce. Hello, Don. He says, the real issue, missile launches were not accurately detected and tracked. That is the true crisis here. What would you say to that? Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's what South Korea and the United States, Japan need to show, and in particular the U.S. and South Korea, that we are ready. If something comes in, we are going to wipe you out. We are going to have such a deterrent uh, against you that you're not going to take the strike. So without doing these readiness exercises, it could lead to to Kim Jong-un thinking, well, maybe I could do something and, and, and survive it. And so... Again, there isn't, of course, there, you need to have these exercises. You need to show you have the deterrent there to, to prevent that first strike from happening. But again, on my list of crises right now, again, I'm not, of course, in Seoul, right? So on my list of crises, this is not even in the, I don't even know if it's in the top 10. But then and that's how bad the world is right now. Look, we saw right. this happen with Saddam Hussein, um, you know, gassing the Kurds and doing this. Where is the red line, right? Is it when he actually hits another country with a missile? Or in the meantime, he's building capacity, he, just Iran and its nuclear program, the building capacity, building the ability. And so before you know it, a two year, two years, five years from five years from now, he's going to say, guess what? We've got 20 ICBMs, you know, with nuclear warheads on them. So now you've got to listen to us. Right. So well, where, where do you draw that red line and when, and when to stop? somebody that you think might do harm to others in the neighborhood? Well, the red line is very clear. I mean, any aggressive military action, you know, against South Korea is going to be met with an aggressive, a, a more, a massive a retaliation. <laughs> so that's where the red line is. And that is why it was so important, you know, to use your analogy, when, when, when Saddam Hussein invaded a neighbor that you had to go in and stop him. So did did when when he committed crimes again mm. war crimes against his own people and, and, and include the Kurds within the borders, you know people let that go and maybe they shouldn't have. But you have that red line when you invade another country. I mean, if he if if Kim Jong Un were to take a missile into Japan or Korea, he knows what would happen, which is why he's never done it. Mm. Why these exercises are so important, but. Why, again, it's not part of our poly crisis that we're facing as, yeah. as a world right now. Look, can we go to... Uh, I was just going to say very briefly yeah. um, on your poly crisis po- uh, comment, even the red line is up for grabs at this point, isn't yeah. it? You talked about Gaddafi, yeah. uh, sorry, no, Gaddafi and uh, uh, Hussein, you know, invading a foreign nation. It's going on right now. The red line hasn't moved there with Putin. We've got issues in our region, Myanmar, so on. So yeah. the red line very much seems to be up for grabs and debated depending on the geopolitical concerns and issues of the day. 
And, 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 the, and the worse these crises intersect with one another, the more difficult it becomes to enforce those types of red lines. And that's why you, the a Russian invasion of Ukraine is increasing, right, other crises that we have of the food shortage, the, mm. the energy, uh, an energy crisis, immigration, which is causing a lot of the issues in, in the U.K. And now yes. you're having an immigration problem coming out of, of Ukraine. How long is that going to last? Are, they, are you, you going to be able to take in all these Ukrainian refugees when when winter comes um, and, and energy is so expensive if it's available at all? Mm. So, yeah, that's where all these crises intersect and why a poly crisis is so dangerous. Look, the United you can a governments can handle one crisis. The United States, you know, handled the Civil War. I mean, obviously, more people died in that war from it in the U.S. than in like all other wars combined. But the U.S. came out of the Civil War. The U.S. came out of the Great Depression. The U.S. comes out of, and the whole world comes out of World War Two. Coming out of the poly crisis we have now is much more difficult. Yep. All right. Let's uh, move on from there. The right wing moves into Israel. Benjamin Netanyahu will retake power as the prime minister there after five elections in less than four years. Hmm, this sounds like in other countries in Europe <laughs> uh, that we know uh, uh, of. What is the significance of his retaking power at this particular moment in time? Right. I mean, here's here's a leader who comes into who lost power uh, under a cloud of corruption and political dysfunction. Uh, a lot of it of his own doing. <laughs> well, guess what? Guess what we're facing in the United States, <laughs> you know, r- right now, which may happen in the and, next, and the UK, in the next two and, years. Uh, yeah, name right. your country. And, it, and, and, and it, a lot of it is the same dynamics. So what so what happened in Israel is that there were per- perceived threats to to Israel's Jewish identity and to their personal safety, and so you had, uh, and and in addition to that, you had an independent Arab party becomes a small part of a coalition. So what happens? The Israeli far right says we need to protect who we think we are. We need to protect who we define our country as. And so they go into a far right government. And it's it's this one could become a poly crisis. We'll see. I mean, because part of the issue that you have with with Netanyahu is can you still have a two state solution where you now have a far right parties make up the coalition before when Netanyahu led, he still had more moderate and centrist Mm. in as part of that coalition. That's gone now. It's all far right. So you Mm. have that one question, but then now look, Netanyahu is the one who negotiated the, you know, the, the diplomatic accords and, and created those diplomatic relationships with Bahrain, Morocco, the UAE. And so Netanyahu recognizes the need for Israel to be able to have, friends and economic relations uh, in the Arab world. So maybe that'll be a check on him. So this is what we've got to see what happens between the far right and the domestic constituency and what Netanyahu knows they need to do internationally. And if, if they go too far right domestically, do they lose all of those international gains that Israel has made in mm. the last couple of years? And, and look, giving credit to Trump and Obama, uh, Trump and, and Netanyahu helped make that happen. So how do international parties respond to this moving forward, especially if you've got Biden post midterms looking a little bit more fragile if he loses one or both houses? How does America and the rest of the world deal with Israel moving forward? Well, I, I mean, that's. The, the 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 State Department came out after Netanyahu won with the far right government, and he said that the State Department spokesman said we hope we hope that all Israeli government officials will continue to share the values of an open democratic society, including tolerance and respect for all in civil society, particularly for minority groups. So that's what the, certainly the United States is going to be watching in the Biden administration. How does the the Netanyahu government treat that twenty five percent of Israelis who are are Arabs. Not, well, 
look, the West Bank is going to be a different issue, but how are they treating the Arabs in Israel who are Israelis? That's the thing that I think the United mm. States is going to watch. Um, and then if that, then you'll, you'll, and that's certainly what the other governments in, in the, in the world are going to watch. We cannot too. ignore Iran as well because Israel is certainly going to be putting pressure on the U.S. and others to to enclose Iran and make sure that they don't further develop their nuclear program. And, and, and this is why you have countries like the UAE siding with Israel because of, of Iran as well. Now, does this mean that there's a possibility that, that the, Saudi, the, 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 the Israelis and the Saudis can have the type of relationship um, that the Israelis have been developing with the UAE? This may put that on hold. But now you have Saudi Iran and Saudi Russia uh, going on in OPEC and not you know, in, in, in cutting production against the wishes of the United States. Coming back to the word polycrisis, is, is the Netanyahu government going to put Israel into the polycrisis camp where it hasn't been for the last couple of years? Yeah, I'm just thinking very briefly on the point you make about polycrisis. In the, this week alone, you've seen Israel shift towards a far-right government. We know what's going on in Russia. Iran, uh, Glenn has just mentioned there. FIFA has come out <laughs> this week and said, you cannot stick your oar in when it comes to Qatar. So that's a version of nationalism. It's Qatari's way or the highway. You had the British Home Secretary turning up in a Chinook helicopter this week outside a migration centre that happens to be near where my mother lives. This real show of almost right-wing nationalist force. Trump is all over the news. You talk about polycrisis, Steve. How worried or concerned should we see about this clear trend towards nationalistic far-right politics across the world? Very. I mean, it's just, a, it's just a continuation of what we've seen for what, the last six years. this is a real discernible shift. It's not a continuation. It's, it's, a, a it's a worsening. Yeah. It's, it's a, because all those things, right? So when you have this, this you know, backlash against immigration, if you have food shortages that is going, and, and people are going hungry, they are, you are going to have, but you're going to have a food refugees. Yeah. Yes. That's going to exacerbate the immigration problems. And you're going to have, you're going to have energy refugees, refugees and, and climate yeah. refugees. Yeah. That's why these crises, and I, I, I love the word, although frightened by it, of course, polycrisis, the interaction between them and, and when they bump up against one another, they make the others worse. And so the food Food shortage is going to make nationalism worse, and then nationalism is going to make economics worse, and it goes on and on and on, yeah. and right. then you get invasions. Let's lighten the mood, Steve, and talk about the we'll U.S. Try. midterm elections. <laughs> yeah, we'll try. <laughs> Steve Oaken. Globalization to nationalism. Let's talk something positive. Steve Oaken with us, of course, a senior advisor at McClarty Associates. All right, give us, uh, give us the up. We got four minutes left. Uh, the update on the U.S. midterms happening next week. Are there new polls out? Is there a new indication of what's happening? Look, Trump and abortion are not going to save the Democrats from history, certainly not at least in the House, right? The historical precedent is that the midterm elections punish the occupant of the White House and his party. And between 1934 and 2018, the party in power lost an average of 28 seats in the House. That's probably exact. If that's not the exact number, that's going to be a close number to how many seats the Democrats are going to lose. And it's going to sweep the Republican in. Will it be as bad as what happened to Bill Clinton in 1994 when he lost 54 seats. You know, what's going to happen, you know, and to George W. Bush where he took a thumping in his word. Obama took a shellacking in his words. So the Democrats are going to lose the House. And why? It's because, look, the Democrats in the country have historically bad numbers right now. You know, Biden's approval is, is only 42 percent positive, 53 percent negative. So he's negative 11. The can, 
congressional approval, only 21 percent, half of what Biden has. Only 17 percent of the of Americans express satisfaction with how things are going and 49. 17 percent. The lowest in history. (laughs) If you ask America, how are are things going in the U.S.? 17, only 17 say good. Okay, briefly, why? Why? Inflation, immigration, crime, all all the poly crisis that we're talking about, the complete you know, the, the dysfunction that we have, the hyper-partisanship, the near overthrow of the government in January 6th, you put all of those things together, and, and this is a historical low. Now, Gallup's been, been, been tracking this number since 1994. It's never been lower, where only 17% of the country expresses satisfaction with how things are going. That is why the, the, the party in power is going to lose the House. The only thing that may save the Democrats in the Senate in holding on where it's tied right now 50-50 um, is because of the candidate quality of the Republicans, the ones that Trump endorsed, because as unpopular as Biden is, Trump is equally unpopular. And so Trump can drag can 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 drag the Republicans down and not have them pick up the seats they should have been picking up under historical numbers. Wow, that's nicely depressing way to finish it. Well, before <laughs> America descends into civil war, I've desperately tried to find something positive. How do you still fit into a shirt so th- that is clearly thirty years old? There's th- a there's a testament I, I, to I, you. This one is actually twenty six years 26 old. Twenty six years th- old. This it still is, fits. This is the shirt that that we. So when I was in the in the Clinton administration, went out and we camp camp. I why don't you explain what it says for those so on the radio? Th- this shirt is after Election Day in 1996, and it says, Welcome home, President and Mrs. Clinton, Vice President and Mrs. Gore. So, you know, the, the administration, we, f- we, we fan out across the country. Of course, the president was in Little Rock. I was in New Jersey doing Get Out the Vote. So the day after the election, we all came back to the White House. We had a big party on the South Lawn. We all got these T-shirts from 1996. So this one is actually 26 years Still old. Still fits <laughs> him like a glove, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Well, uh, let me just uh, remind everybody, next week, next Saturday, we will have uh, Steve back on um, and do a post-election wrap-up. We're also really happy to have Angela Mancini on with us as well from Control Risks. So she'll be with us uh, uh, to give her perspective uh, with Steve on what the results look like from this midterm election this coming week. And I think we know we, we roughly know what's going to happen. We don't know how, to what extent it's going to happen. Um, and, and like when the Republicans get the House, we are going to hear a lot about Hunter Biden and mm, his laptop. Mm. And we are going to hear a lot about China. And the Republicans are going to be investigating businesses and what they're doing in China and why they're in China. And so this midterm really has a lot to do with Asia. And if the Republicans get the Senate, then Donald Trump's return to the White House is more likely than it would be otherwise. So a huge midterm election to be watching for those of us in the region. So have a jolly Christmas, folks. (laughs) (laughs) Let's prepare for Armageddon. There you go. All right. Poly crisis. We have to prepare for the poly crisis. Thanks so much, Steve. We will see you next week. Next week. All right. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.